Guess who's back, 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 back again? Oh, no. The Gospel Enthusiast Podcast! Salute und Breiden. Privet, Jabian. Guten Tag, ich bin Derek. You're probably wondering if you clicked on the right podcast. And you did. It's true. We actually do speak English, but we are very diverse here. At Nothing if not diverse. Yeah, three white guys. Three white Christian Christian males. heterosexual males. Yeah. Very diverse. Yeah. <laughs> we are the modicum of diversity. Oh, yeah. The world would call us racist. Well, that's... Same Just thing. for existing. <laughs> you exist? We know what you are. <laughs> okay, but seriously. The amount of joy this chapter brought me um, was overwhelming. And... I would uh, highly recommend, like, if you're struggling with um, assurance of salvation, um, that you know you have been saved, but you struggle with with sin and 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 you're repentive and repentant. Sorry, I should say um, of that sin. This chapter is is unbelievable when it comes to God's grace and His just um, justification. Like, it probably doesn't come through my voice right now, but this this chapter made me very giddy. There's so much joy that that was built up within within the uh, depths of my soul, and I just the love of, of Christ that I had after reading it multiple times through, and writing notes and getting ready for this podcast. Like, I just I can't say enough of how good God is. And, and I know you guys probably felt the same way while reading it. Um, yeah, I know for myself, uh, I was actually using like a Bible um, audiobook app to listen to it every morning uh, the past week and a half or so. And I got to say, it it is probably one of the... I mean, I know there's probably so many chapters you can listen to in the Bible that would be so encouraging every morning but this is one that just like you mentioned Braden it's just it it's such an assurance and it's such an assurance building mm-hmm. and uh builds the confidence in in Christ and it's just it it's joyful it's uh it helps us to understand and help it helps us to uh see sure, yeah. the confidence we can have in Christ and it yeah, it's just a good thing. I would recommend it for anyone to listen to it in the morning. It's great. It's a good start to the day. Do you have any thoughts on that one, Ben? Yeah, I was going to say, if you, especially if you contrast the two, the, the rest of Romans. I mean, you have verses, or sorry, chapters 1 through 3, which really define um, man's state. And then you get to to chapter 4, where Paul's writing about uh, through, uh, through faith alone. And then you get to chapter uh, 5. And just the... Um, like you said, the, the assurance that he writes about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just such a beautiful chapter to read. It's so encouraging. And um, I, I was reading some of Calvin's commentary on this, and it was just the the, the, the points that he made um, kind of opened my eyes a bit too. And it was just, it was so, uh, it, I don't know how to describe it else. I'm going to f- stumble over my words, but it's really, <laughs> really like uh, eye-opening and, and uh, like a jovial experience. And you read that, it's like, wow, that is such a beautiful way to put this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul makes makes quite clear the 
um, the size of God's love where it's it's so overarching and it's so um, perfectly timed his justification his um, Christ's death everything is so perfectly timed um, which which ought to bring us great joy even in in the present you know like th this should be um, such a um, joyful passage for us to read and meditate upon but we'll just probably jump right into it because let's talk about this goodness that we uh, have uh, have right. experienced ourselves and, and we hope that you guys experience it as well because this is something that like I can't put into words um, Derek and I were talking on I believe it was like Thursday night um, before this podcast came out a couple days ago and uh we were trying to come up with with even an analogy of because Paul talks about the the assuredness of um Christ's love over, that his sacrifice is greater than the trespass and how sure we can be in Christ in Christ we we're trying to come up with an analogy of something that's so sure yeah, I mean, like, right, it talks later on, right, in the chapter about how, you know, the, it's so certain that sin came through Adam, but much more that righteousness comes through Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we were talking about, right? Like, you look around the world and you can see the certainty of sin and the certainty of wickedness that has come through the fall. and But yet much more, much more certain is the fact that righteousness is coming through Christ to those who believe. And I think the way we were trying to determine it's like, you know, look at the most certain thing you see. Like the fact that I can see you sitting across the room from me is absolutely certain. I'm certain you're there. But more certain than the fact that you're there is that Christ will fin do what he promised. Mm -hmm. So, And just to make a bit of a comment, I mean, um, I think I had talked with you guys about this a bit as well. But I mean, even Albert Einstein had quoted that, um, he's sure of two things: uh, the universe and human stupidity, or I would I would say depravity. I think would be an interchangeable word. And uh, he said, "I'm not so sure about the universe." When you take a mind like Albert Einstein, who is a, a renowned um, a physician, or not like not physician, like a scientist. Physician. Like there we go. That's what I'm looking for. Physician. Uh, he's like, a good doctor. But he knows physics. Wait, what is the word? Um, and he's obviously not a Christian. He's an atheist and a renowned atheist. Um, so like he understands the depravity of man, and so that's it's it's so sure that that even people who don't believe in Christ believe in human depravity, but more sure than that even is uh, is justification th through Christ that his yeah. his uh, his blood was sufficient. Yeah, this whole chapter kind of the one word that kind of sticks out to me, <clears throat> excuse me, that kind of sets the tone for the whole chapter is the word peace in in uh, in verse one. Um, to have peace with, with God through Christ. Hmm. Um, Jesus is referring to us being no longer enemies. And if we're no longer enemies with Christ, that means we are right with Christ. We are right with the Father. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that means we are reconciled. We are, we are His forever. And so that assurance that, um, that we can cling to Him and hold on to Him even when we we stumble, we fall, we sin, and and 
as we talked about on Sunday with, with Peter, who denied him three times, Christ giving him that assurance that I will still lead you to Galilee. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he <clears throat> asked Peter three times, do you love me? Almost as if to, you know, to give him that confidence back, mm-hmm. that assurance back. Yeah. Like, like Christ never leaves nor forsakes us. And so that peace really sets the tone um, for the chapter for me when I yeah. read it. Like, Yeah, it, it basically it starts there and it goes, it kind of breaks it down. Mm-hmm. And in regards to that peace, um, I came across, I also was looking in some of John Calvin's commentary on it. Same. And he said there, quote, this is the, pe- the peculiar fruit of the righteousness of faith. When anyone strives to seek tranquility of conscience by works, which is the case with profane and ignorant men, he labors for it in vain. For either his heart is asleep through his disregard or forgetfulness of God's judgment, or else it is full of trembling and dread until it reposes on Christ, who alone is our peace. End quote. And so that peace, like Paul had been breaking down in previous chapters, is only through justification by faith alone, not through the works, not through circumcision or law-keeping, but it's only through Christ alone. Well, just to note on that piece as well, I think the at least the part of the quote, I think it's very similar to the part of the quote that I uh, cut out where Calvin says, uh, we have, um, or sorry, uh, he says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, like you said. Uh, and then he goes on to say, then peace means tranquility of conscience, which arises from this that it feels itself to be reconciled to god um and it's like i saw that I'm like man that's just like so clear mm-hmm. like that's, that's such a clear way to put it and it, it's so true it, and like the there's nothing else like it yeah. and then paul writes in verse two that uh, through him being christ we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand so right in that statement you can see clearly that uh, paul is saying um Faith alone, uh, grace alone, and Christ alone. Yeah. The first three solos. Yeah, exactly. And like we had mentioned earlier, that Christ would be our only access. And I took this from John Gill's commentary. Um, Quote, Now access to the throne of grace and standing at that are by Christ. There is no access to God in our own name and righteousness and upon the foot of our own works. Christ is the only way of access to God and acceptance with him. He is the mediator between God and us. He introduces us to the father's presence, gives his gives audience at his throne and renders both persons and services accept, acceptable unto him. End quote. And so that ties into this grace that Paul is talking about here. The term, like the word grace, what grace is, is unmerited favor or rather, you could say, ill-deserved favor, literally the opposite of what we deserve. And I was watching uh, recently a video clip from Wretched Radio, and I came across um, one where he was, or he showed this clip from this pastor, and I actually just, I'm just going to play it uh, so you guys can hear it, talking about this grace and, you know, how it applies to us and how we should think of it. Notice how Paul uses the word grace 
Verse 2, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. What does the word grace mean? Undeserved favor, right? Whenever you see grace, think favor and think undeserved. In fact, think ill-deserved. In other words, it's not only have we not earned it, but it's the opposite of what we have earned. That's grace. And you might look at what Paul's saying and say, all right, so Paul's telling me I'm in God's gracious favor, I'm in God's presence, and I don't deserve it. And say, well, why does Paul have to throw that up in my face? You're here, but you don't deserve to be here. Paul actually has a wonderful intention here. Guys, if we can lay hold of the fact that our being in God's good favor and being in his presence and having a friendship with him, if we can just get it through our heads that it's all an ill-deserved favor, it will forever cure us of ever thinking we have anything to do with earning that. It will forever cure us of thinking on our good days that we deserve to be here and on our bad days of thinking, I guess I don't deserve to be here because I've done some bad things today. We don't realize it, but there's actually arrogance underneath that. You realize that? If on a bad day you're like, oh, I don't deserve to be in God's presence and I'm out of his favor, what that means is yesterday on your good day, you actually thought you deserved it. Come on. We don't deserve good favor on our best days any more than our worst days. Guys, I'm trying to deliver you from an ugly cycle I've been on many times in my life. We need to preach this grace to ourselves on our good days not just our bad days. There have been times in my life where uh, I've been doing really well spiritually, practicing the disciplines, in the Word, praying, and ministering to other people, sharing the gospel with others, and, and I'm feeling really good, and the devil comes along and just kind of says, hey, Milton, you're doing really well lately. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I mean, you're in the Word. Look at that. Look at you in the Word and, and uh, practicing the disciplines. That's, that's great. And I'm like, yeah. And he'll say, kind of looking around, Milton, you're actually doing a lot better than other people around you in the church, aren't you? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm. <laughs> and then he'll say this, God must really favor you because of how well you're doing. And there have been times I've said, yeah, yeah. And you guys know exactly what happens after that, right? The rug gets pulled out from underneath me. I fail in some significant way. And because I bought into the lie that I deserved his favor to any degree, now that I have failed, I now believe I've lost that favor. Guys, preach this truth to yourself on your best days as much as you do on your worst days. Yeah, so that was uh, Pastor Milton Vincent. And hearing that, uh, really, that video really hit home with me this past week, and um, part of it convicted me. And so I decided, I just figured I'd, I'd share it with you guys. Um, but he's right. When we get that, the fact that it's not earned and it's all grace, when we get that through our head, then we really can exalt in God regardless. And uh, as Paul says, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And I just want to, a little note on the word hope. Um, in, in my Reformation Study Bible, they, they wrote there that uh, uh, hope is the assurance of something not fully experienced. 
and, and we know that we're justified. We know that we're being sanctified and we will be glorified on that day when our sanctification, sanctification is complete. And we're no longer, uh, we no longer have mortal bodies or carnal minds. And so that it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing to hope for. And so not only can we hope, um, exult in the, the hope, but this also helps us to be able to exult regardless our situation and when we face tribulations. So we can exult in the tribulations that, that come upon us, and that can be more than persecution, obviously. Um, it can come in trials, in dry seasons, and, and things like that. But uh, as we read here in the text, um, exulting in tribulation, which leads to perseverance, which leads to proven character, which leads to hope, um, it's such a good thing that we can have jubilation, we can have joy, and... Uh, um, we can be spurred on even in in tribulation um, just to switch gears in regards to tribulation and, and most notably persecution. Um, we think about Pastor James Coates and what's happening in Alberta. Um, obviously, what he's, uh, what's happened to him and how he has been imprisoned, been kept away from his family, kept away from um his flock that he is he is um been blessed to tend as as a shepherd and he's supposed to shepherd that flock as he's staying um forcibly being kept away from that and then having to to stay in prison being shackled hand and foot um isolated and and put in maximum security you have all these things happening, but I, I can be the first to attest that that brings me great joy. Not that he's in prison, but it brings me great joy that he sticks to his um, convictions. It's, he sticks to his um, conscience and that he knows he is called by by God to preach the word and to not turn any of um, his sheep away and so he has the option obviously to leave right and so as long as he doesn't go and preach which is against both his both against the word of God and his convictions and so I, I can say that spurs me on that gives me great hope and great joy knowing that we have brothers and sisters who are willing to um, cling to Christ instead of clinging to to man and, and to worldly possession, worldly um, desires. I see that tribulation. I see that, uh, and obviously, when I s say tribulation now, I I'm referring to to persecution, to imprisonment, something that in what we consider a free country as an abomination, right? To be um, shackled hand and foot for preaching the word of God is is an abomination and but but we we thank the lord that we can suffer alongside him that the gospel is being um being moved it is being shown to the uh to the world and to hear that um that there are people and i heard there was a muslim man who um converted the next sunday at the uh when, when the assistant pastor is preaching 
you can see how the Spurs brothers and sisters on to keep fighting um, for the faith. And just a, a quick thought on persecution and, and tribulation. They bring about great gain. And for a Christian, tribulation may be akin to coal being squeezed into a diamond. A diamond is only brought forth after much time under great pressure. Um, in a very similar sense, when we as Christians are put under immense pressure as Christians by the, by the world of, um, or tribulations and trials, the effect is perseverance and patience. Um, we are built up in Christ when we go through these things. And, and I looked at to, um, stories like Job where his faith was, um, was, or it grew and it, it uh, um, flourished even under, you know, immense um, persecution under being dang near killed, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like it says here, it also says almost the exact same thing in James 1 where it, it talks about how we should rejoice at various trials because they bring about perfect growth, right? And they make us... Uh, ultimately, they mold us and shape us into stronger, sturdier Christians who are able to weather what life throws at us. And that's why we can rejoice in the tribulations. You know, not that the fact that we rejoice in the tribulations themselves... Because not that they're desirable or anything, but we rejoice because we know that, you know, nothing comes to us except going through God's hand. And like Romans 8.28 says that they all happen for our good or for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his name or according to his purpose. Um, but the tribulations don't have the same result for the world as they do for believers. To the world the biggest effect it has on the world is it leads unbelievers to complain and murmur against God and even curse him. But when the spirit has granted a, a believer that inward meekness, tribulations, they become a means of generating patience and other growth. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we're called to rejoice in them. Yeah. And John Calvin just adds to Romans five, three there. It's a bit of a long quote, but, we're just going to give her everything from John Calvin is long quote. That's true. Um, quote, by saying that the saints glory in tribulations, he is not to be understood as though they dreaded not, nor avoided adver uh, adversities, or were not distressed with their bitterness when they, when they happened, for there is no patience when there is no feeling of bitterness. But as in their grief and sorrow, they are not without great consolation, because they regard... Uh, that whatever they bear is dispensed to them for good by the hand of a most indulgent father, they are justly said to glory. For whenever salvation is promoted, there is not wanting a reason for glorying. He continues, We are then taught here what is the design of our tribulations, if indeed we would prove ourselves to be the children of God. They ought to habituate us to patience, and if they do not answer this end, the work of the Lord is rendered void and of none effect through our corruption. For how does he prove that adversities do not hinder the glory of the faithful, except that by their patience in enduring them they feel the help of God, which nourishes and confirms their hope? They then do not 
They then who do not learn patience do not, it is certain, make good progress. Nor does any objection, excuse me, lost my spot here, objection that there are recorded in Scripture some complaints full of despondency, which is the saints had made. For the Lord sometimes so depresses and straightens for a time his people, that they can hardly breathe and can hardly remember any source of consolation, but in a moment he brings to life those whom he had nearly sunk in the darkness of death, so that what Paul says is always accomplished in them. We are in every way oppressed, but not made anxious. We are in danger, but we are not in despair. We suffer persecution, but we are not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. Second Corinthians 4, 8. Tribulation produces patience, etc. This is not the natural effect of tribulation, for we see that a great portion of mankind are thereby instigated to murmur against God and even to curse his name. But then... But when inward meekness, which is infused by the Spirit of God, and consolation, which is conveyed by the same Spirit, succeed in the place of our stubbornness, then tribulations, because of the means of generating patience, yea, those tribulations which an abstinent can produce nothing but indignation and clamorous discontent. End quote. That, <laughs> that quote, I think, is exactly where I took my note earlier from. That makes sense. Because it sounded very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to actually add a note re- in regards to this Jam- the James Coates situation. Um, I was listening today to the February 28th sermon that the associate pastor did. That would have been yesterday, I guess, for us as we're recording. Um, but he was preaching and uh, obviously through this situation... So much more attention has been brought to Grace Life Church in Edmonton, um, whether it's through YouTube views, whether it's through people attending. Mm-hmm. Um, their attendance numbers have been like capacity or greater with people sitting in the parking lot outside listening. Five hundred people last time, right? Yeah, something like that. But um, and I was I was very encouraged in this sermon today, like right near the end of it. Uh, right near the end of it, he said that he knows a lot of the people are coming because of their rights. Like they're coming to the church because of, you know, their rights and freedoms and they're coming to, um, yeah, well, they're just watching online and stuff because of that. Right. And he said something so comforting and encouraging to us as Christians. He had, he had said, that's not our goal. Our goal is not human rights our goal is not rights and freedoms of Canada. If that happens, that is a, a good side effect, a, a benefit. Our focus is on Jesus Christ. And then he went on to pro- proclaim, proclaim the gospel to them, like preaching it, saying, you know, if you're not in Christ, you are destined for hell. And like you're, you have judgment awaiting you. And, you know, proclaiming the gospel and you know, giving hope. And so I was super encouraged by that because... So many people think that these pastors are doing it because of their Canadian rights and freedoms or their human rights, but that's not the case. Yeah, they're, they're doing it doing out of, out of a, selfishness. Or, yeah, it's yeah. a they're doing it out of obedience to Christ mm-hmm. and what the Word says. And so, well, think of it this way: What man sits in prison with his family at home, wondering how he is, if he is being fed, if he is um, being abused by whether it's fellow inmates or guards? What man sits in prison? When knowing, he has the right to get out, as long as he denies. Knowing that he might be there for a couple of months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching an interview last week about with his wife 
um, Justin Peters had interviewed his wife and she had said he's he said he's hungry like obviously they they feed whatever they feed in prison well he but, gets three meals a day right but, but they're portioned and yeah and as as she said as a more athletic guy with high metabolism he's it's not enough to fill him as a, as his usual meals would be right yeah. but it's and and yet there's so many proclaiming christians so quick to jump on him mm-hmm. and to uh, all the, a lot of these pastors that are standing they're quick to just condemn okay them. so i have a and question so, for both of you guys I, hope, I would like to get both of your takes on this sure um you just said like a lot of proclaiming christians are, are saying well good like, you know keep him in prison you know he's selfish or whatever um do you think this is you know a way that God is, is separating the sheep from the goats. Um, I know in a way, or I truly believe in a way that he is with just COVID in general, but this imprisonment I find is really dividing um, the church. And so yeah. like, like, what do you guys think on that? I would, I would say, yeah, I like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, obviously we've talked and we're not going to go in depth here on the conviction of gathering in person or not. No, um, that's not my point. Either. No, I know. Yeah. I, I just don't want to branch off that far. And uh, But I would say, yeah, God is, the way I see it, God is doing something. And he is, that's something I've, I've grown in big time this last year is my understanding that i need to stand with god no matter what the world says and no matter what it costs me worldly possession or favor and i've grown in a willingness to do so and i'm guessing that's the type of thing that's happening that he is working that in his in believers that they're starting to understand we're gonna have to stand the world is not i mean it says in the bible the world's gonna hate us because it hated him yeah um, but it's really showing and it's advancing and I'm not to belittle any persecution. Like I'm not going to belittle any persecution. We have so, so little compared to what our f- brothers and sisters across the world have, mm-hmm. you know, they're being put to death. They're being tortured and did you guys see all sorts. Paul Washer, he said, my sister, meaning his sister in Christ had her arm chopped off for the gospel. Yeah. You know, we, we yeah, have like, it really good here. We, we have to, you know. If we want to go to church, like a full church gathering, yes, we have to kind of do it in secret um, just so we don't get fined, you know, monetary fine. But to lose a limb, to lose your life for Christ. Right. Right. It's, it's so much worse. And mm-hmm. that's one thing I think is happening is it's starting to show that it's coming. And we know that persecution is going to come here. And I myself, and I'm sure you guys agree, that the, I believe that the church in North America needs persecution. It needs to face some persecution to weed out, you know, there's so much worldly and and yeah, it, um, fake Christianity in North America with all the um, prosperity and all the um, lukewarmness. But ultimately what this is doing, I believe, is starting to show Christians that you're going to, there's a cost. Yeah. And you're going to have to be ready for it. Well, I think one of the problems we have with North American Christianity is that we see incidents like that across the world, right? We'll see um, 
our, our brothers and sisters all over, uh, especially like the Eastern world and, and South America, uh, all kinds of crazy stories are coming out of there. And so that when we have situations like this with Pastor James Coates, who is being you know, arrested for preaching during COVID, um, they'll say that that's not persecution. You know, he has all his limbs. He's allowed to walk out whenever he quits preaching and or, or at least quits allowing people to, to attend the church um, and or stuff. to be the church ultimately yeah, exactly to gather together as we're commanded and, and so they they'll use that as a as like a straw man to say that we're not this isn't persecution because that's real persecution right and, and so it's kind of like opening a door and to allow bigger persecution because it's like it's like a mask saying mm-hmm. that because we're not getting our limbs chopped off we can slowly get taken control of by governments and, and by people's um of, of authority and uh but i mean the one the one point i wanted to make here like paul writes uh in verse two i just want to go back for a second um access by faith in into this grace in which we stand and uh we all love calvin apparently uh, I have a quote from Calvin as well. <laughs> Although this is a short one, so I'm going to contradict you, Derek. This is that's not true. A... I also have a short one, but uh, whatever. <laughs> but uh, Calvin notes uh, the phrase in which we stand, and he's indicating that it, that it's uh, that that it's about standing firm, right? Uh, and then so he he goes on to say, "quote The gospel ought to strike deep roots into the godly, so that being strength, so that being strengthened by its truth, we may stand firm against the devices of Satan and of the flesh." And by the word stand, he means that faith is not changeable persuasion only for the day, for one day, but that it is immutable and sinks deep into the heart so that it endures through life, end quote. That wasn't even that short. Ish. <laughs> it was for short. him, it was. Yeah. It's well, no, short. I got one shorter here. Hang on. When we're talking about uh, perseverance and the tribulations, Calvin said, quote, in all our adversities, we are shaped like or we are shaped like to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, end quote. Ooh, that was short. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but also, very true. Okay, so, Ben, you work in a foundry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you would know at least some about purifying metals. Yeah. You know, r- removing all foreign substances that could hinder um, your product. I, I would say what's happening now, slowly, is the crucible is being heated up. Mm-hmm. And the impurities, um, and uh, uh, when I say impurities, I mean those who are faking it. Those who are not truly in Christ. Those who, um, you know, go to the occasional church service on Sunday or, or said a prayer once when they were five. I think it's starting to really weed out um, those who are not truly in Christ. And um, it's something we should we should rejoice for. We don't want um, imposters um, making a mockery of the name of God, but at the same time, I think we should also have to mourn for there are souls being lost, and this is show- showing us that we need to be more urgent in our in our. Um, preaching of the the gospel and sharing it amongst everyone that we meet on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, just in, to continue with the whole um, persecution, Jesus says it so good on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, 
and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I was talking to uh, to our friend Graham on Friday night, and uh, we both, we kind of got giddy at this, because it says, like the prophets before you. Now you think of like like great men, like Isaiah, and you think of... Um, you think of Jeremiah, you think of um, all the prophets, and, 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 you know, you think of Moses, and you think of um, David and stuff, and and uh, Samuel. And to say that we're, like, when we look at it, it's like, yes, they were sinners, but we also kind of look at them as like, these are, you know, men chosen of God. These are true um, warriors for Christ. And to say that we get to share the persecution, not only not only with them, but we get to share it with Christ. That that He was um, beaten and killed and suffered on our behalf. Like that has to bring us great joy, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So now, as we uh, continue into uh, verses six through eleven of chapter five here. Uh, it starts with some amazing news, exactly how you just said, Braden. You know, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God dem- demonstrates his, love, his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And... That is uh, something incredible. And Paul uses this illustration here about how someone would scarcely die for a righteous person. And it's not talking about, you know, someone who's righteous before God, but someone who's, you know, righteous or good in their own eyes type of thing or good in the eyes of men. Mm-hmm. And so these verses are used, uh, and from John Gill's commentary, The way it's explained, he says, The design of this in the following verse is to show that Christ dying for the ungodly persons is an instance of kindness that is matchless and unparalleled. End quote. So, you know, you look at man, and man would scarcely die for someone good, sacrifice themselves for someone good, but Christ did it for his enemies. For the ungodly, because there was no godly yeah, people. Yeah, it's quite a contrast, hey? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say verse 6 through 11 gives a great um, demonstration of God's attributes. Um, shows his great mercy, um, his great love. Demonstrates his omniscience and perfect timing in verse 6. His immense love in verse 7 and 8. His justification, how he bought us with his blood in verse 9. It also shows his divine wrath and how we are saved from it. And, and now, mm-hmm. this is something that a lot of um, New Age stuff, um, a lot of, in the Charismatics, would be um, in opposition against, even though it's you know plainly written here that we are saved from the wrath of God, mm-hmm. by God. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a beautiful thing. Because oh, yeah. God is absolutely holy, right? He's yeah. a thrice holy God, and um, you see that in Isaiah six and and Revelation four, and 
that holiness means he's so separate and, and, and not even one sin can uh, can come into his presence. So, yes, we absolutely deserve wrath and it would be God's wrath that we deserve. But he is so good to send his son and, and I find great comfort in this passage. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I find so, so much comfort in just the term much more in these passages. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you look at uh, verse 8 to 9 where it says, but God demonstrates his own love... Uh, own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of god through him and i'm just going to continue to verse 10 for if while we were enemies if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life and so the much more just brings so much comfort because if you look at it, while we were his enemies, he justified us. While we were his enemies, he died for us. How much more now that we're not his enemies anymore, now that we're in right standing, now that we're his <laughs> friends, would he protect us and and, and help us to endure? Yeah. Um, when I was looking for a quote in this, I came across a Spurgeon quote, or I guess I was looking at studying some commentaries, but I came across this Spurgeon quote where he says, you see the force of the argument. If he loved us when we were still dead in sin, much more will he keep us and preserve us now that he hath justified us. Were his enemies redeemed? Shall not his friends then be kept? Did he love those who were still far off? Will be not the love those or will be not love those who were brought near and love us even to the end? It's just this it's such a certainty because we were we were his enemies when he died for us we were his enemies so how much more will he help us to persevere and to and will he hold us you know in john it talks about how you know we're in his hand and none can take us out of his hand mm-hmm. and it's just it's such a comfort and this is one of the verses that was really sticking out to me just the the much mores throughout cuz it's going to there's there's many more of them to come later in the chapter but it was something that stood out to me so much, just that assurance that we can have. And I personally have struggled with assurance over the last couple of years. It, it's been something I've struggled with. Same. But mm-hmm. the more I study this this passage and this um, chapter, the more confident you can be in just the assurance. Like, he reached for us when we were dead. Well. How, how would he not? Yeah. If you reach for us then, right, why yeah. would he not continue to sanctify us and to right. save us now, right? It rem- oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, it reminds me of that saying, he saved us, is saving us, and will save us, right? Yeah. Um, the like, much- us being once estranged from God yeah. and now being reconciled and, like, really brought in, like, family. Um, a loving father as he embraces his son who, you know was gone for so long like it's something that well you can't even put into words the much more is remind me of when jesus said when jesus was talking to the pharisees and he said you being evil know how to give your children good gifts oh yeah Mm -hmm. how much more would the father Mm -hmm. give the spirit to those who who ask it's like it's just this this confidence the building thing (laughs) that it just it excites me 
Well, in in uh, to go along with that, I wasn't going to share this quote, but I, I think it's it's fitting. Um, I was reading through Matthew Henry's commentary a bit, and, and he what he had to say I thought was really profound. And he said, uh, "Quote: While the sinful state continues, God loathes the sinner, and the sinner loathes God." Zechariah eleven verse eight. And that for such as these, Christ should die is a mystery. No other such an instance of love is known, so that it may be well the employment of eternity to adore and wonder at it. And it's just it's so true. I mean. Um, sorry, <laughs> uh, that's not part of the end quote. But anyway, uh, the the fact that uh, that even though like like God loved us, but at the same time like we were His enemies. Yeah. So like obviously like He had every reason to just get rid of us, um, but He didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because right, natural man is like it says in verse six. He's helpless or weak, unable to help himself. Uh, he's ungodly. In mm-hmm. verse 8, it talks we're sinners. In verse 10, it says we're enemies. In Ephesians 2, it says we're dead in sin. And that comes that brings up a misconception that is around today. Uh, there's such a misconception that we are worthy or worth saving that there's something you of value. deserve this. Yeah, there's something of mm-hmm. value in us that God pursued, but there's no biblical foundation to that. The Bible, time and time again, tells us that we were... God's enemies. We are weak and helpless. We or are even if we, sinners and dead. Yeah, sorry. Even even if we go back to like Romans four when it talks about how Abraham was justified by his faith and not yeah. by his works. In the Old Testament, it said Abraham was a righteous man, but that righteousness was not a credit to him because of what he did. And, no, and and so, um, him still being wicked, God saved him through his faith. Mm-hmm. Whereas he does the same for us, right? By grace, through faith in Christ. Right. So, And like Abraham's faith, like you were talking in the previous chapter, in the previous chapter it talks about how Abraham was convinced that God was able to do what, what mm-hmm. he promised. And that, that's what this chapter is to me. Like it, it, what it shows me is we can, you know, if we can trust that Christ died for us, like if he did that while we were sinners, how much more will he do it now that we're his friends? Uh, we can have this full confidence and be fully convinced that God is able to and will do all that he has promised. And now that we are saved and much more we are saved by his life, we exult and we rejoice. There's great jubilation mm-hmm. in, in God. Um, so really that shows our transformed state that we are new creatures in Christ that we are um, made to serve and to love him and to um, adore him and for him to be more precious than everything else um, that's what the, this when I read this that's what I see that I am made new because he while we were still sinners he died for us now do as he he calls us to do that's that's how I understand it like this is a um, like obviously, you look to Second Corinthians five that, that when it talks about being a new creation. New creation. Um, that's what I see here. I think it's great encouragement. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the one analogy that I've heard years ago um, about about talk about our the value that we had that you know we're this this car right that gets restored and so you know we get polished up and all that kind of stuff uh, and I think that's a really misconstrued uh, analogy I think the reality is we are these these cars that are so rusted out there's actually literally no use for any of the parts 
every single part of that car is garbage and has to be thrown out. And every the, God restores us by replacing all the parts. So the only value in that car is what God has put in us. Yeah. yeah. We and were rusty, rusted out cars at the bottom of the sea. Exactly. There's literally, we're actually a detriment. We're actually more, more value being in the garbage bin than we are anywhere else. And yet God takes us out of the garbage and he replaces our, our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. And mm-hmm. so he puts the value in us that, that we have. And it's not that he sees value in us. He puts value in us. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So as we go into the last section of the chapter. And Adam all die. Yeah. It just reminds me of that meme. Uh, oh, you know, great. the second breakfast meme from Lord of the Rings. What about second breakfast? Where it's the guy where he's like, and Adam all die. And then. What about the, second What Adam? about second Adam is the <laughs> follow up to the meme. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, Paul breaks down here um, how sin came into the world, how sin was. Uh, brought into the world but also how righteousness is brought to those who believe yeah i uh as i was reading this um i'll admit there was a bit of a struggle just understanding some of it and then it got a little more clear um thank goodness that uh we have brothers and sisters who understand greater than we do <laughs> and are willing to help are willing to help Amen. and you can have those conversations um, so in Romans 3.20 we know that knowledge of sin comes through the law right um, verses 12 through 14 here in verse 5 or sorry chapter 5 um, points to evidence that even before the, the law there was sin um, that death reigned because death does not come from breaking the law breaking the law but it comes from sin right right yeah and so the sin was the same like fornication murder lying but with the law there's now a standard to charge someone with right romans 7 would say that and sin obviously came in through adam yeah through adam's first sin um i like the way the london baptist confession uh 1689 puts it where it says our first parents by this sin fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and we in them. For from this death came upon all, all becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of the soul and body. End quote. And so uh, it says here in Romans 5 that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Yeah. And I think we discussed that we... Uh, once we wrap up the two series we're trying to go through, we're going to do a series on types and shadows of the Old Testament. But basically what types and shadows, for those who don't know of the Old Testament, are, um, it's basically a what you could say like a blurry image of Christ. Sort a of. Reflection of sorts. Yeah. yeah. It's, so it's, it's like, um, it's basically we study them by looking at the significance of the Old Testament events, people, or institutions as they relate to the fulfillment or foreshadowing of a greater version in the New Testament, which would be Christ. So we look at Adam as a repres- or as a um, type because Adam was the divinely appointed head of the whole of humanity outside of Christ. And his sin forfeited righteousness for all that he represented. And so in that same way, Christ is the represented, representative head of the new humanity. And his obedience 
unto death will gain their justification. So that's kind of like a type. Like we look at a type of shadow would also be um, the Passover lamb where they spread the blood over their door or on the door Mm -hmm. and the destroyer passed over them. That's the same way Christ works against Mm -hmm. our sin, right? Yeah, you can look at the ark. Yeah, there there are so many. Yeah, there's a lot. We'll cover them in future episodes. But... Um, yeah, basically that's what it's referring to there. It's kind of like a, yeah, I forgot my word, but go ahead if you have something. <laughs> well, I find that, that Paul kind of, um, for the next, like from 12 to the end of the chapter, he goes and, and does the same or kind of speaks on, um, on how all have sinned because of Adam but how much greater um, is the sacrifice than the trespass? Right. The, the, gift, free, the gift of grace, right? It's so much greater than the trespass. They do not compare as Christ's work on the cross is sufficient for the whole world. His mm. grace abounds um, in a sense. And I love the way, I, I like the trans, uh, definition of abounds. In a sense, overflow, to be abundant. It's it's so sufficient. It's so overflowing that no matter how much sin, mm. there's there's one verse there that I kind of caught my eye, and I was trying to figure out exactly um, how to understand it. And so uh, I found a Charles Spurgeon quote in regards to it. But the verse says, "So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation for all men." Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. And so I was, I was trying to ponder the all men, right? Because I know, we know for a fact that not everyone will be saved. And not everyone will obtain this justification and this righteousness. And so I was trying to, I was doing some study to figure out exactly what it means. And I found this Spurgeon quote, which um, kind of explains it. So he says, quote, that is to say upon the all who are in Christ and the qu- condemnation came upon all who were in the first Adam. He who believeth not in Jesus has no part in the free gift unto justification of life, but he who believeth is a partaker of the glorious justification which comes by Christ, end quote. So it, it seems to be summed up in that um, the all who it's referring to in the condemnation is the all who are in Adam and the all who it talks about in the justification is the all who are in Christ. Yeah. I, actually, Graham and I had talked about this um, on Friday as well. It's like, you can kind of, um, like some people might take this out of context and it'd be like universalism, right? Right. And then he's, we had discussed how, but you have to take the whole, um, book of Romans in context as well as the whole book of the Bible in context that all who believe those are the all all men who it is referring to here all those who believe in Christ who put their faith in Christ and not in in their works or anything like that so I can see where people would be like oh that's universalism you know people can or right. says everybody no remember context I can do all things through verse taken out of context. It's true. You can. Yeah. But 
Um, as you brought up earlier, the law, Paul ends it by saying that the law increases transgression. Um, at least increases the knowledge, right? As he said earlier, yeah. as he says elsewhere, that the law is a tutor that reveal, leads us to Christ. And it says here, um, where sin increased, grace, grace abounded. And so human depra- depraved logic would dictate or ask if then we should continue to sin so that grace could abound more. But uh, we will get to that in chapter 6 because that's literally how Paul starts chapter 6. And spoiler alert, the answer is by no means we should not continue to sin so grace may abound. (laughs) Don't sin. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's it's hard not to. (laughs) Right, I'm just saying it's it's not okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well... But I guess that kind of leads us to the end of the chapter now. Yeah, that was a long... and it ran a little longer than I thought. But I also led us right into the James Coates stuff, and that also begins a yeah. tumble of discussion. Yeah, I mean, that's but, that's fine, too, because we, we do need to discuss it. It is something that needs to be brought up. It is something that needs to be talked through, and we need to understand what's coming um, and be prepared. Yeah. So yeah, that I appreciate having that talk. Yeah, it's good to have that discussion. Um, yeah, but as we as we wind down, um, the gift of of grace is only for those who are in Christ. It is only for those who repent and believe the gospel of Jesus, believing in his his. Um, his lordship, believing in his perfect life that took your, um, did what you were supposed to do, what you could not, took upon himself the punishment that we deserved and was raised to life that sin and death may be defeated. Mm-hmm. And it's only by, um, by this grace that we can be, um, forgiven is only by this grace that we can be healed and and, um, have peace with with God the Father and so we urge you and we we plead with you because this is the greatest news Mm. in in the history of the world we're all going to die no one leaves this world alive but you can be alive in Christ for eternity praising him and glorifying him in his Mm. presence and so we urge you to, to repent of your sins and and, and uh, turn from your good ways and turn to Christ and put your faith in him and come under his lordship for he is the Lord. And what you have to understand is that right now, if you are outside of Christ, if you, if you haven't uh, repented and believed in Christ, there is judgment on your head. There is wrath that awaits you. Um, the Bible talks about if you reject it, the only expectation that you have is judgment and the fury of fire that will consume all the adversaries, um, it says in Hebrews 10. So, as Braden said, and Benny would agree, we, we plead with you that you would come to Christ, that you would find that peace, find that joy as we covered in this chapter. He is faithful to do what he says. Um, he died for me and you too and 
all, anyone who's listening, he died for us while we were yet sinners. So turn to Christ and be saved. He is your only hope. Amen. He's such a good Lord, such a good Savior. Amen. Amen. As I'm sure you guys heard the great joy that we had to, to share this chapter because he is so splendid and so precious to us. And we pray that he'd be precious to you too. But uh, until next time, repent and believe the gospel. Amen. Amen.